We're heading into Thanksgiving, and so you could have probably predicted that uh, Pastor Jimmy's going to have something to say about gratitude or thankfulness this morning. And the good news is that the Bible is so full of gratitude and thankfulness that it's easy to find a spot to light. And so this morning, I'd like us to turn our hearts and attention to a really brief passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. As a matter of fact, by the time you stood up, it'd be time to sit down. So if you've got your Bibles and you'll open there, if you don't have them, don't worry about that. We're going to put the verses right up here on the screen for you. But I want you to hear what God has to say to us this morning as we prepare to enter into a day that we set aside for Thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning reading in verse 16. Here we see, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For those of you who came here this morning struggling with trying to discern God's will for your life, you never knew it was going to be that easy, did you? I mean, here it is. He lays it out right for you. This is God's will for your life. And so if this is something that is God's will for our lives, then we want to get a hold of this and let it get a hold of us this morning. So as I considered what kind of a message would be appropriate to get us in the right kind of spirit, to get us in the right kind of attitude, to enter into a day, a week of Thanksgiving and a day of Thanksgiving, so that we might think about it rightly, it was easy to come to this passage and to pull it out. Because I didn't have to guess if this was something that was God's will. It is. It's stated plainly. It's stated simply. It's stated directly. This is God's will for you. And part of that will is that you be grateful. Let's take these verses, look at them a little more closely. Because if this is God's will for our lives, we certainly want to see how to apply it. The first thing that we're told here is to rejoice always. To be joyful always. Philippians 4.4 kind of takes a magnifying glass over that and says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Evidently, God understands that we're a little dense, and sometimes we don't get it the first time. And so here, it is just kind of pounded, it's magnified, it's it's brought into a much broader perspective. Not only we're just to rejoice always, I want to say it again, just in case you happen to miss it the first time, rejoice. Now, That's easy to say, but how do we do that? How do we live constantly in this state of joy? How do we rejoice always? Are we to simply ignore the problems and the difficulties and the challenges of life? Are we to live in some kind of a fantasy land where we just assume that no problems are ever going to come our way? Not at all. Your challenges, and some of you are facing some pretty tough challenges, Knowing some of you, I know some of what those are. There's some family challenges. There's financial challenges that you're going through. Some of you have some personal decisions that you have to make in your life, and they're not easy decisions to make. Those challenges are real, and they are tough. Some of you, some of you have some very real pain in your life. Every morning you wake up with it. There's pain. There's aching, sometimes very sharp pain. We can't simply wake up and just say, Well, those things aren't real. Those are a figment of my imagination. 
No, God never calls us to live in a fantasy world. And yet he does call us to rejoice. So how can we do that? The first thing we need to remember is that rejoicing is an inside job. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and and this is just a portion of that scripture here. We're told that the fruit of the Spirit, that is, what the Holy Spirit is, is producing in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then the next thing on the list is what? Joy. God is trying to produce in us, through His Holy Spirit, joy. It's a spiritual work. It's something that God does in us. And true joy is not dependent upon the circumstances of our lives, but on our openness to God's work in us. That God is working in us. That God is doing this inside us. And this enables us to rise above the circumstances that we face. Sometimes very challenging circumstances. And so this morning as I thought about it and said, what, what, shall, I, what shall I say that can help people understand this? And... Actually, I always start by saying, how can I understand it? Because I figure if I can get it, uh, then, then maybe I can communicate it in a way that you can get it. But we have a lot of reasons to rejoice in spite of what our circumstances are. The first one is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I am so glad that I don't have to save myself. Because if I did, I'd be utterly and eternally lost. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. He died to pay the price for my sins. It is by grace that I'm saved through faith. And it's not of myself. It is a gift of God. And it's not by works. So that I can never brag and boast that I did it on my own. And so this morning, when I look at all the issues that I deal with in life, as I look at all the struggles that I have in life, all the problems, all the pains, I can look at this and say without a doubt, I can rejoice because I'm saved by what God did for me through his son, Jesus Christ. The second reason I can rejoice regardless of my circumstances is that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know if some of you are sports fans, you may have had this experience. You had to be away for the big game. And so you got your wife or your husband, depending on which one's the sports fan, to record it for you. So that you could go back and, and watch it a little bit later. Now the, the sad thing is you're sitting there watching it and you're getting very, very tense. But your spouse or whoever recorded it for you is sitting there and they're very, very calm. And, and the reason's obvious. They know the outcome. You don't. And so here you are at the very end of the game. It's coming down to the, to the field goal that must be kicked in order to win the game. It's coming down, it's, you know, it's the, the bottom of the ninth with two strikes and two outs and two men on, and, and you're sitting there wondering what's, what's, what's going to happen here. Or the time is ticking down in the basketball game, and, and you're, you're driving down, down by one, just hoping to hit the final shot. You don't know what's going to happen. You're stressing, you're straining, you're yelling at the referees, you're pounding on the, maybe this is just me. But what you don't know is that the field goal went through. The last shot did go in, and that the batter at the plate hit a double and won the game. You see, you already had the victory. You just didn't know it. We live this life shouting at the referees and pounding on the arms of our chairs, stressed and troubled and worried. But God has come to tell us 
that we are more than conquerors. We've already won. No matter what happens in this life, we have already won through Him who loved us. The third reason that we can rejoice in the midst of any circumstances is that we have the eternal presence of God with us. We are never, ever alone. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus said before he sent it into heaven, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you. How comforting that is as we go through some of life's dark valleys and no one seems to understand what we struggle with. We have a God who understands and who is always present. A fourth reason that we can rejoice regardless of the circumstances of life is that we have the promise of an eternity with Jesus in heaven. Now, this doesn't make our problems on earth any less real or our pains hurt any less but we are told in scripture that this life is brief and on the scale of eternity no matter how long i suffer in this life that i have a home in heaven that jesus said he's gone to prepare for me and that eternity is a long 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 time The reason I'm I'm sharing this with you is because when we get in the midst of the problems, when we get in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties, that's all we can see. And we need something that we can hold to. And these truths that I've shared with you are eternal truths. They're something sure and certain that you can hold on to. And in the midst of that, in the midst of whatever your circumstances are, you can still find joy. God's will for us is that we not find our satisfaction in anything else, our contentment in anything else, and our joy in anything else but Him. And if we find it there, we can never lose it, no matter what happens. It is why Paul and Silas, when they were chained up in the lowest level of the prison, could be singing hymns, singing praises to God in the midst of the worst of circumstances rejoice always it is God's will for you but if you're gonna rejoice if you're gonna rejoice it will never simply be in your circumstances it'll always be in the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ secondly what what it was God's will secondly we're told to pray continually pray continually well, now, doesn't this just happen to show how impractical the Christian life is? What am I to do? Walk around like this all the time? I'll run into things. I can't live my life on my knees. Don't you understand, Pastor? I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. I've got turkeys to cook and presents to buy. I've got all this stuff in my life that I have to do. I don't have time to just live my life as a monk. Walking around like this all the time, just in constant state of prayer. Well, if that's your understanding of it, then this does seem rather impractical and even impossible to do. But to pray continuously, to pray continually means that we have a constant line of communication open with the Lord at all times. Now, you and I might set aside some time during our day where we devote ourselves to to focused prayer it could be for some of you it's first thing in the morning for some you need a couple of cups of coffee to get rolling 
For others, it may be the last thing at night after everybody's gone to bed and the house quietens down. Some of you may be able to do it in the middle of the day. I don't know what your time is. I'm not saying that's not important. That's very important. You want those times in your life. But the call here is to be constantly connected with God, constantly in communication with God. In other words, we live our lives in an attitude of complete dependence on God. This is what I think is at the heart of prayer. It is dependence on God. It's not thinking that we've got it all together, we can do it all in our own power, all in our own wisdom, all on our own. What it's saying is, God, I'm relying on you for every decision of life. Oh, yes, the big decisions. Where am I going to go to college? Or where am I going to work? Who am I going to marry? You know, where are we going to live? All those kinds of things, but also in the small decisions. When someone comes up and asks you for five bucks, is that something you just respond to, or do you take a moment to say, okay, God, what do I do in this situation? How do I respond in this situation? There will be some times when God's going to say, open up your wallet and give him ten. But there will be other times that if we're listening for the promptings of the Holy Spirit, God's going to say no. Don't. Because he knows exactly what's going to happen to that $5 if you give it to him. How are we going to know those things? Do we just, are we just flying by the seat of our pants? We're called to pray, continue to be constantly in a, in a state of prayer. Probably the best verse that I could pull out of this to help us to understand it has, says nothing about prayer itself. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we are called to live by the Spirit, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? It means we follow right along. Wherever the Spirit's leading, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. We're not lagging behind. We're not running ahead. We're trying to go at the Spirit's pace in our lives. Now, Sometimes, as if you're type A, the Spirit doesn't seem to move fast enough. You want, you're, you're like, come on, Holy Spirit, let's go. And then for others of you, if you're type Z, well, there is no type Z, but that's about as far away from A as we can get. The Holy Spirit always seems to be running at breakneck speed. And you're like, slow down. Our call is to keep in step with, to walk in the Spirit. That's what it means to be continuously in prayer, to be in step with the Holy Spirit in your life with our eyes and ears and hearts open to whatever it is that He's leading, being able to share whatever's on our hearts at a moment's notice. When we would go, when we would go to Africa, it was really interesting we right, traveled on some really bad roads. I mean, there are some potholes big enough to lose an elephant in them. They were massive. And anybody who's been over the, to Zambia and has been on those roads, when, when it is better to drive on the side of the road rather than to drive on the road, you know you've got bad roads. We'd be driving through that stuff, bumping and going around. Now, because <clears throat> I've gained some... Well, some years, seniority, I got to ride in the front on a cushioned seat. 
everybody else is riding in the back of this lorry, this just kind of large pickup truck on steroids, on wooden benches, just pounding and pounding and pounding. We'd be going through that, and yes, you prayed on the way. But whenever we'd get back, the guy that was there who was looking after us, his name was Tim, whenever we got back, he'd, he'd stop the truck, he'd turn it off, and as soon as the engine would get off, go off, he would just say, thank you, Jesus. His prayer was not right there at the end of the ride. His prayer was all through the ride. It just culminated in thank you, Jesus, on Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. In order for us to culminate our, our week, or at least that portion of our week, by being able to say with sincerity, thank you, Jesus, it's only going to happen if all during our week we're keeping in step with the Spirit. We're called to pray continuously. That is God's will for you. And so what we're told is to rejoice always, to pray continually. And then, here we go, the passage that has to deal with gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if you were to read a literal translation of that, it would read like this. In all circumstances, give thanks. We said, well, that says the same thing, right? Well, yes and no. In the Greek the word order is very important because it adds emphasis. What is at the front of the sentence gets the most emphasis. And so, in all circumstances, give thanks should be read like this. In all circumstances, give thanks. It is highlighted. It is bolded. It is in all caps. It is italicized. Regardless of what the circumstances are in life, give thanks. Thanks. That is the emphasis behind this little portion of Scripture. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that everything in life is good. I've never said that. Just think to the incidents that we as a community have endured in this past week and a half. Am I going to go to Chief Robert's wife after he's been shot at his doorstep and killed? Am I going to go up to his wife and say, you know, it was a good thing. That was a good thing, wasn't it? Am I going to go to the Beasley family after they've lost a 17-year-old son, just put my arm around him and say, hey, hey, don't worry about it. It was a good thing. No, I'm not doing that. It would be horrific. So what are we saying here? Well, perhaps we need to let God's word speak instead of me speak. And God would say this. It's found in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, in everything, in all circumstances, good, bad, and indifferent, God is working for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Let me give you one example. Again, still fresh, still sensitive. On Tuesday, excuse me, on Tuesday, I had the, the honor of being able to do the funeral service uh, for Justin Beasley. It was not an easy thing to endure. Uh, it, was not a, it, was, it was pretty challenging. But in the course of <coughs> planning on what to share, it came to my attention that Justin had given his heart and his life to Jesus Christ, not in a worship service, 
like this on Sunday morning, not at a big FCA rally, but that Justin had committed himself to Christ at the funeral service for Bonnie Dalton, who died just a few weeks prior. Out of death came life. Out of that awful circumstance of of Bonnie passing away came the spiritual birth of Justin Beasley so that his name might be written in the Lamb's Book of Life eternally. Now, the story didn't end there because not only did God bring something good out of that tragedy, out of Justin's death at the funeral on Tuesday, I did something I rarely do, and that is I not only shared the gospel, but also gave people an opportunity to respond by by helping to lead them in a prayer if they wanted to pray. And then at the end, I asked if anyone had prayed. And five or six people, I want to say six, but I know five for sure, raised their hand indicating that they committed their lives to Jesus Christ on that day. Now, I'm not saying that Bonnie's death was a good thing. I'm not saying that Justin's death was a good thing, but what I am saying is Romans 8.28 is true. That God can take the worst circumstances of life and bring about something beautiful, something eternal, something that is more than good. Listen, folks. We have in our worship center a cross i got to tell you, there's nothing worse that could have happened in the history of the world than for God to show up in the flesh and to be despised and rejected and crucified. That is the worst evil that has ever happened in the face of this earth. It is greater than anything that, that, that Hitler did. It is greater than anything that Genghis Khan did. It is greater than anything Joseph Stalin did. It is by far the greatest evil that has ever been done on this earth, that God would come to earth and that his creation would crucify him. And yet, what came out of the cross? Life. My life, your life, eternal life came from the cross, from the worst of all possible circumstances. God brought the best of all possible fruits, ends. I want to challenge you this morning. We're not to give thanks because all of our circumstances are good or because we feel good all the time, but because God is good. I could have picked any number of scriptures, but Psalm 106 verse 1 says it very plainly. Give thanks to the Lord, not because of what he's given to you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Many of you during your Thanksgiving meals will take time to sit around and and ask, hey, well, what are you thankful for? And just share a few moments. That's a a wonderful little tradition. If you do it in your homes, that's a great thing to do is to talk about the things for which you're thankful. It helps you focus on God and all of his blessings in your life. And we can be thankful and we should be thankful for the good things that God gives us in life. But we're also to be called to be thankful in every circumstance of life. And yes, if you can't afford to put a turkey on the table, that means God's still calling you to be thankful. 
Not because your circumstances are good, but because God is good. And he is able to work all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Three things to remember about this. We can be thankful in every circumstance because God is good. Secondly, we can be thankful in every circumstance because God is sovereign. He's in control. He's still on his throne. And we can be thankful in every circumstance, in every situation, because God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. This is not meaningless. If you thought it were meaningless, I can understand why you would have no joy and why you would not be grateful. But to know that God has a plan and a purpose through the worst of life circumstances can enable us to be grateful. Some of us think that finding God's will is some complex algorithm that you and I would somehow need a scientific calculator and a degree in physics to discover the will of God. I'm here to tell you this morning that finding the will of God is pretty simple. All we have to do is open his word and read. God has made his will plain to you. What is his will for your life, for my life? To rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks no matter what the circumstances are for life. What do you need for that? First of all, you need the Spirit of Christ living inside you. This is not something you just say, Hey, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and start this. This is something that God does in you step by step, little by little, day by day. It begins by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the Holy Spirit then coming to live inside you, to enable you, to empower you to live this life he's called you to live. For those of you who have already received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, your next step, the next thing you need to do is to be connected to the body of Christ. Because not only do you need the Spirit of Christ living in you, you need the body of Christ supporting you, encouraging you, and coming around you in order to help you live that kind of life, to both encourage you and hold you accountable. You need that in your life. And the third thing I would suggest to you, not only do you need Jesus Christ, not only do you need a church family, But you need to spend time with God. Some of you have a relationship. You've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's been many years ago. You're part of the life of this church. You have all the support you could ever want right here. But you're pretty much a stranger to the presence of God. Let me ask you something. When we're told to pray continually, how can we do that? How can we do that if we're never intentionally in the presence of God. This morning, I have a threefold invitation for you. First of all, if you need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today is your day. Don't wait to a funeral service to do it. If God's calling you to do it, today is your day. Some of you may need a church home, a place to come and belong and plug in, a place where you can be encouraged and held accountable. And you are, and God's leading you to say, this is the place. Then I want to encourage you and challenge you to take that step and say, okay, I'm ready today. This is where God's called me to be. 
But some of you may need to just use this place as a holy altar, a place to come and say, God, I am so sorry. I've been looking for your will, but I've been looking in the wrong place. I haven't done what you've asked me to do to begin with. How in the world can I expect you to tell me something more when I've refused to do the simple thing you put out in front of me today? A time of repentance, a time of recommitment for your life. In other words, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, I invite you to respond and to do it today.